Let's face it, your kids are going to get into your guns. That's a fact. Gun accidents can be avoided by introducing your children to guns as early as possible. Hi, I'm Petey the Pistol. Say, do you ever get lonely? Yes. Me too. Hold me. If you squeeze me, I make bad people go away. But wait a minute. I thought guns were bad. False. Guns are good. In fact, did you know that Jesus and Moses used guns to conquer the Romans? So remember, guns don't kill people. Dangerous minorities do. Warning, guns are extremely dangerous. Do not purchase, own, clean, operate, or be near guns at any time. Today on Legalese, we need to have a serious discussion about the balancing act between those advocating gun rights and those advocating gun control uh, in a part two on an ongoing series of this very topic. Hey, greetings and welcome back once again to Categorical Imperatives. As always, I am your host, Bob. Thank you so much for joining me here today. And if you are new to the program, I would especially like to welcome you. Uh, This is a podcast where we're going to be mostly discussing current events in law, politics, and culture. Now, real quick, you can find uh, this show on a number of different platforms. We have a video version available on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, and now on Spotify. We have an audio-only version on Anchor FM and on Apple Podcasts. You can go join the Legalese community over on Locals.com if you feel like it. And you can actually do all of those super awesome things and read a bunch of articles that I have written and occasionally continue to write over on Substack, mostly dealing with subjects of constitutional law. And you can find links to all of those super awesome, cool things down in the video description. Now, like I said, uh, this is part two in a series that I have been doing, uh, talking about the balancing of gun rights and gun control. And if you haven't seen part one, I'm going to recommend you go and do that first. There's a lot of uh, setup information in there that you really need to understand it. I'm assuming you have for this episode to make sense to just be able to pick it right up. So I will put a link to that in the video description, uh, and I'll put one in a card in the uh, in a card in the corner of the video right about now. And so, if you haven't seen that, please do go check it out first. All right, so I'm going to assume that everyone who is still watching has seen part one. So let's get on with it. Now, what you will remember, and let's just kind of quickly refresh a couple things from the last video, um, is that. The way this video is going to be different than past videos that I have done about this very same topic is usually I have covered the philosophical and logical aspects of gun rights and gun control. And instead today what I'm doing is I'm trying to meet gun control supporters halfway and uncritically presuming the following assertion to be true. If a proposal for stricter gun control could demonstrably be shown to decrease the frequency of mass shootings, it would be worth limiting gun rights to implement that gun control measure. And this is because I believe that for most citizens who advocate for gun control, they are doing so in a good faith effort to make changes based on the noble noble idea of reducing the number of mass shootings. And it's being based on, unfortunately, bad faith claims by anti-gunners like Joe Biden 
and that their so-called solutions are, at best, ineffective at achieving their state of purpose. And I believe that this can be demonstrated without appealing to a holistic no-gun-control argument. In cases, this is all I do and I do it well. And just as doctors can only recommend an effective treatment plan if they first form a correct diagnosis based on an accurate assessment of these symptoms, policy analysts and policymakers must have an accurate understanding of societal problems that they are seeking to combat. Unfortunately, too many policymakers appear completely uninformed about basic factual realities related to guns and gun violence. So the focus of this video is largely going to be Joe Biden's press conference that he gave the day after the shooting in Uvalde, where he discussed his idea of common sense gun control laws, as he calls them. And he hit all his usual talking points, blaming the actions of one sick and sorry excuse for a human being on the entire gun lobby, asking when are we going to stand up to them as though the NRA hasn't been public enemy number one to the entire Democratic Party since, I don't know, at least the beginning of the Obama administration, and that the mere mention of this civil rights advocacy group doesn't cause a violent and vitriolic outcry from every Democrat within earshot is just absurd. And it is implying a collective of Second Amendment civil rights advocate organizations are both capable of pulling a trigger and culpable when any one individual does it. And this is simply not true. It can't be true. It is in every sense impossible. Biden then went on to lie through false statistics about the number of school shooting incidents. He then lied about the effect of the assault weapons ban. He used disinformation to smear the intentions of anyone who is the least bit skeptical about any part of his gun control agenda as merely being someone who is so selfish that they just don't care whether innocent children are murdered. And he closed with a crowd favorite, namely his claim that the Second Amendment is not absolute and that when it was ratified, no private citizen could own a cannon. Today, we will be covering why each of these claims is objectively untrue. Now, I will also be complaining about him ignoring one uh, anti-gun campaign promise he made uh, that I wish he had kept, and that was to put Beto in charge of some kind of Bureau of Gun Snatchery, largely because his anti-gun grandstanding during a presidential debate. I do want to come to Congressman O'Rourke because I know this is personal to you. El Paso is your hometown. Some on this stage have suggested a voluntary buyback for guns in this country. You've gone further. You said, quote, Americans who own AR-15s and AK-47s will have to sell them to the government, all of them. You know the critics call this confiscation. Are you proposing taking away their guns and how would this work? I am. If it's a weapon that was designed to kill people on a battlefield, if 
The high-impact, high-velocity round, when it hits your body, shreds everything inside of your body because it was designed to do that so that you would bleed to death on a battlefield and not be able to get up. Well, what do you know? No more bullets. No more bullets? Hey, laughing boy. No more bullets. No more bullets? Here, let me see that thing. Hmm. Well, what do you know? One bullet whiffed. One bullet whiffed? Hey, laughing boy. There was... I know, I know! And kill one of our soldiers. When we see that being used against children... And in Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an AR-15. Mm -hmm. And that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour because so many other people were shot by that AR-15 in Odessa and Midland. There weren't enough ambulances to get to them in time. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. And I really wish he would have kept up on his promise for uh, what is admittedly the very selfish reason that we all know how hilarious it would have been to see Beto have to try and make good on his gun-snatching tough guy persona. And I'm pretty sure that we all know it would look something like this. So let's start with the section of Joe Biden's press conference where he lied about the assault weapons ban. I am sick and tired of it. We have to act. And don't tell me we can't have an impact on this carnage. I spent my career as a senator and a vice president working to pass common sense gun laws. We can and won't prevent every tragedy, but we know they work and have positive impact. When we passed the assault weapons ban, mass shootings went down. When the law expired, mass shootings tripled. The idea that an 18-year-old kid can walk into a gun store and buy two assault weapons is just wrong. What in God's name do you need an assault weapon for except to kill someone? Deer aren't running through the forest with Kevlar vests on, for God's sake. It's just sick. And the gun manufacturers have spent two decades aggressively marking assault weapons, which make them the most and largest profit. Now, we will be unpacking his assault weapon ban myths and misinformation. But first, I need to point out a broader assault weapon myth, and namely... That is the false belief that there is such a thing as an assault weapon. Now, in the last episode, we discussed how semi-automatic rifles, like specifically the AR-15, are so well-suited to defensive action against a threat in a civilian context that the Department of Homeland Security quite literally designates them as personal defense weapons. When they talk about so-called assault weapons, such as the AR-15, what they are talking about are common sporting rifles that have a cosmetic appearance of a military-style rifle. 
But because military-style weapons are not available, despite what people like Beto and Joe will tell you, they are not available to private citizens. These rifles, such as the AR-15, have the technical and lethal and features of lethality, such as bullet caliber and rate of fire, of a perfectly legal common sporting rifle that is used for hunting because that is what they are. And both the mislabeling of modern sporting rifles as so-called assault weapons and the campaign to exploit non-gun owners' ignorance of firearms and firearms laws to take full advantage of this by pushing for a ban on a weapon that they just made up. Now, this was specifically an idea that came from a guy named Josh Sugarman and his organization known as the Violence Policy Network. And these intentions that I'm talking about, how they were taking advantage of people's ignorance and fear, are not my speculation. They came directly from a white paper authored by Sugarman for the Violence Policy Network in which he talked about how to weaponize his made-up assault weapon myth. Here he says, Assault weapons, just like armor-piercing bullets, machine guns, and plastic firearms are a new topic. The weapon's menacing look, coupled with the public's confusion over fully automatic machine guns versus a semi-automatic assault weapon, they assume anything that looks like a machine gun is assumed to be a machine gun. This can only increase the chance of public support for restrictions on these weapons in addition Few people can envision a practical use for these weapons. Now, as we also, uh, I believe, touched on last time, it is untrue for him to claim that these so-called assault weapons are the weapon of choice for mass shooters because 55% of all mass shootings happened, they, w when they happened, they were carried out solely with a handgun. And rifles of any variety, because again, you can't distinguish between an assault weapon and a sporting rifle because they literally are the same thing. Rifles of any variety only account for 11% of firearms used in mass shootings. Now, his claim that the assault weapon ban saw mass shootings go down and then when the law expired, mass shootings tripled is just 100% bogus, complete bullshit. In fact, what happened was, during the ban, there was a slight increase in the number of mass shootings for the 10 years that it was in place, and a steady and sizable decline in the numbers following the end of the ban. Furthermore, common-sense gun laws simply won't help because over 92% of violent crime in America has nothing to do with guns. Focusing on so-called assault weapons is not only not going to stop mass public shootings, but it isn't going to make a difference in reducing murders at large, and here we can see that with a demonstration of the numbers about the assault weapons ban. So, the percentage of firearm murders committed with rifles was 4.8% prior to the federal assault weapon ban, 
that took effect in September of 1994. When the ban was in effect from 1995 to 2004, we actually saw the number hit a record 6% high. And if you average out the numbers uh, over that 10-year period that the ban was in place, what we come to is about an average of 4.9% of all firearm murders were committed with rifles during the assault weapon ban. And since before it was 4.8%, that means it was slightly higher than it was before the assault weapon ban. And since 2004... The overall trend shows a steady decrease in the number of deaths from rifles. If we look at the average overall from the end of the band to today, we see an even lower average of around 3.6%. But frankly, what would you expect from a guy who has also asserted we can do this. You can ban chokeholds. You can, but, you, but beyond that, you have to teach people how to de-escalate circumstances, de-escalate. So instead of anybody coming at you and the first thing you do is shoot to kill, you shoot them in the leg. There's a way. Now, this is the problem with people who have absolutely no training or experience with guns, suggesting policies to others who lack both training and experience. First, you can't shoot someone in the leg. Second, that's not de-escalation. Now, just to be clear, I'm not some kind of tactical expert on guns here, and so I suggest anyone with questions about safe and effective firearm use take safety and personal defense training courses. But I can tell you that shooting someone in the leg won't work because I've been to a firing range more than once in my entire life. I assure you, shooting in the leg would be just as successful and effective as trying to teach people to shoot the gun out of the bad guy's hand like you would see them do in an old cowboy movie. Even a world-class tactical shooter would have trouble consistently pulling off a shot in the leg every single time. I don't know, Marge. Trying is the first step towards failure. <clears throat> now, I will be linking in the description to a study done by Bill Lewinsky for those who are interested. He has done all kinds of research on the science of practical stopping power in different scenarios. And the paper I am linking to talks about the reasons that aiming for a limb in a situation where you want to use a firearm to stop a threat uh, is just simply foolish, which is obvious. When you consider that a person who is walking or running towards you, their leg will be moving not only back and forth, but to a certain degree side to side as well, all at the same time. While the center mass of a torso tends to stay in more or less about the same place. And, obviously, using deadly force will naturally instill a certain level of panic in anyone. The last thing you want to do is make a decision in that moment more complex and more difficult on both a mental and a physiological level. When cat burglaries start, can mass murders be far behind? This reporter isn't saying that the burglar is an inhuman monster like the wolfman, but he very well could be. So, Professor, would you say it's time for everyone to panic? Yes, I would, Kent. 
Hordes of panicky people seem to be evacuating the town for some unknown reason. Professor, without knowing precisely what the danger is, would you say it's time for our viewers to crack each other's heads open and feast on the goo inside? Yes, I would, Kent. The fact is, terminal ballistics, tactical knowledge, and skill level, and stopping power all point towards the lack of common sense in his suggestion. And quite frankly, any day now, I expect to see Joe Biden doing an advert warning the people about the dangers of rogue guns. Hi, I'm Roger Goodman, and if you watch the news or read Huffington Post, you know that you're 99.9856% more likely to be the victim of a firearm accident the second you bring a gun into your house. And that's why I'm here today to talk to you about a very important issue pressing today, America. Rogue guns running rampant across this land. Some people in the pro-gun lobby will tell you that guns are inanimate objects without free wills of their own. But that's a load of shit. You think you're safe when you leave that gun locked up in it in its safe with your kids when you're not home? Think again. What are you gonna do when this happens, bull tits? Hey Tommy, why don't you come play with me over here? Oh, I'm not sure, mister. My daddy said I'm not supposed to play with guns. Oh, your daddy'll never know, Tommy. Oh, mister, I'm not sure. My daddy will be real cross. Yeah, well, your daddy's not here, is he? Oh, you just killed that kid! You think you're safe because you take a gun safety course with your family and learn how to handle a gun responsibly? You're a piece of shit. Oh, but it's my right under the Constitution to protect myself from people and tyrannical governments, you say, you son of a bitch. And it's not just related to kids. Guns commit all kinds of crimes, like domestic violence. With that roast beef again? Bitch, what I tell you? I don't want to eat that two damn days in a row, bitch! I already done told you! Oh, that revolver's a dick. <laughs> not as much as you for knowing better and you let him into your house, you son of a bitch. Guns also commit nefarious gang-related activities. Where's my money, I say? I don't want to have to go there, you know, but I will. I will cut you. I will cut you. And just have an all-around problematic presence in the household. And if you... And that's why I, Roger Goodman, am here today with responsible parents for gun control against parents who own guns trying to take these terrors off our streets and away from your kids. Because there's no such thing as a responsible gun owner, only non-gun owners and pieces of human shit. And even though some people tell you guns don't kill people, people kill people, those people are pricks. So you can call this number here and call your local representative to make sure that there are no more guns on your street or in your house that could be taken up or be hurt by a kid. What'd you think was gonna happen pushing me like that, baby? <laughs> Being my wife ain't no pony ride, bitch. Now, the implication, as always, is that so-called assault weapons are uniquely suitable for mass murder and have no legitimate use. This is demonstrably not true, since AR-15-style guns are among the most popular rifles sold in the United States, and their appropriateness for personal defense is perfectly illustrated in the following congressional testimony. There are some here today who still genuinely don't understand why or how anyone would need such scary-looking rifles for purposes other than mass murder. 
And so I have permission from my mother to explain it to you by partially embarrassing her. My mother did not grow up with firearms, and they will never be her favorite thing in the world. In fact, she'd never handled a firearm until I took her to the range for the first time several years ago. Now, I love my mother, but like every other novice with a handgun, she was quite bad. I mean, she struggled to hit a stationary target from six yards out under ideal conditions. And then she picked up an AR-15. And I watched my mother put a fist-sized grouping of lead in the center mass of a target from 20 yards out. That is why law-abiding citizens buy millions of these firearms. When accuracy and stopping power matter, they are simply better. Americans use firearms to defend themselves between 500,000 and 2 million times every year. But God forbid that my mother is ever faced with a scenario where she has to stop a threat to her life. But if she is, I hope politicians protected by professional armed security didn't strip her of the right to use the firearm she can handle most competently. Frankly, I hope she has in her hands the scariest-looking assault weapon she can find so that we can both be confident in her ability to end the threat. Now, semi-automatic weapons, which automatically just reload a subsequent round into the firing chamber after a single discharge following a single pull of the trigger, simply protect people and save lives. Single-shot rifles that would require a manual reloading after each shot may not do someone a whole lot of good, especially if they are facing mul multiple criminals or if their first shot fails to stop an attacker. And this is why you need to understand that there is literally no difference between your average sporting rifle and a so-called assault weapon. Because when you talk about banning assault weapons, you are opening the door to ban absolutely every multi-shot rifle. Every one. Next, let's move on to... Uh, Joe Biden's claims about uh, certain myths about the gun lobby. As a nation, we have to ask, when in God's name are we going to stand up to the gun lobby? When in God's name we do what we all know in our gut needs to be done? For God's sake, we have to have the courage to stand up to the industry. Here's what else I know. Most Americans support common-sense laws, common-sense gun laws. I just got off a trip from Asia, meeting with Asian leaders. And I learned of this while I was on the aircraft. And what struck me on that 17-hour flight, what struck me was these kinds of mass shootings rarely happen anywhere else in the world. Why? They have mental health problems. They have domestic disputes in other countries. They have people who are lost. But these kinds of mass shootings never happen with the kind of frequency they happen in America. Why? Why are we willing to live with this carnage? Why do we keep letting this happen? Where in God's name is our backbone? have the courage to deal with it and stand up to the lobbies. It's a time to turn this pain into action for every parent, 
for every citizen in this country. We have to make it clear to every elected official in this country, it's time to act. It's time for those who obstruct or delay or block the common sense gun laws. We need to let you know that we will not forget. We can do so much more. We have to do more. Now, this vilification of the gun lobby, as he calls it, is really disgusting and misleading. He talks about it as though the people at the NRA are just a bunch of evil super criminals who sit around in large chairs, stroking cats, planning evil schemes to steal millions of dollars for their evil purposes of bribing politicians with that money because the people at the NRA are just psychopaths who want to use power, and money to increase the murder rate in this country because, apparently, just like the Joker, they are committing crimes and trying to enable the commission of crimes for no other reason than to watch the world burn. But the fact is, whether you like them or not, the NRA... The Second Amendment Foundation, Gun Owners of America, the Firearms Policy Coalition, and many other similar organizations are civil rights advocacy groups who believe in the right of individuals to have the means of armed self-defense. And they don't get their money from unseemly sources. They get it from millions of Americans like me, who indeed care a great deal about violent crime and want very much to see it reduced, but recognize the proposals being made would make little to no difference, and we are not willing to sign away our civil liberties in pursuit of this goal. We don't think it makes sense that you want to decrease violence by making law-abiding citizens more susceptible to being victims of violent crime. How does that make any sense? And the simple fact is, the majority of Americans support gun ownership. That is why we give our money to these organizations, to protect our right to keep and carry guns for lawful purposes, including as means of armed self-defense. We aren't monsters. And the people running these organizations aren't criminals. Except for Wayne LaPierre. But that's another discussion for another day entirely. And so, his claim that AR-15s are sold so often because they are aggressively marketed is fucking ridiculous. Marketing guns to the general public is so prohibited as to functionally be banned. Can anyone here name a single time they have seen an ad for a so-called assault weapon anywhere, ever? The only place I have ever seen one myself are in catalogs from gun manufacturers. And I need to solicit these gun manufacturers to send me these catalogs. They don't just magically appear. 
And the reason so many so-called assault weapons are in American hands is because they are incredibly well-suited to small game hunting and personal defense. And we don't know that because an advertisement told us so. We know that because we own them and we use them. Listening to people with a lack of knowledge and experience could not be a bigger waste of your time when you are discussing a topic of which you have no personal knowledge or experience. And that's what citizens pushing gun control, parroting the talking points of a president like Joe Biden pushing gun control, are doing. Now, I'm not even asking you to accept my argument here, but if you want to understand who is right here, there are things you can do to investigate this for yourself. Sign up for some basic gun safety and personal defense courses. Go there ready with all the hard questions you want to ask for the instructor in the class about whatever so-called assault weapons or whatever else. Put the questions to them. Not only will they be able to answer them, they will be able to demonstrate what they mean because these classes always come with plenty of free range time so they can do just that. They want you to learn and experience what it means to be a safe and effective gun owner. And again, the fact is, semi-automatic sporting rifles are ideally suited to personal defense in a civilian context, even compared to something like a handgun. I promise your experience, if you take me up on this and you go take some gun safety courses, get some time at the range, your experience will be as revelatory as that of the woman who was giving testimony about her mother's experience at the range for the first time. So we need to talk about some of his mass shooting and school shooting lies that he talked about here. Now, Biden claimed that there were 900 incidents of gunfire at schools over the last 10 years. This is 3,448 days, 10 years since I stood up at a high school in Connecticut, a grade school in Connecticut, where another gunman ma massacred 26 people, including 20 first graders at Sandy Hook Elementary School. Since then, there have been over 900 incidents of gunfires reported on school grounds. Now, the fact is that figure is an outright lie wrapped up in a classic bit of government misinformation. But all I did was tell the truth. Of course you did. But there's the truth and the truth. Because what Biden was talking about there was including incidents, and these are very specific real-world examples I'm about to give you here. He was including incidents such as someone committing suicide in a car in a school parking lot at 2 in the morning. Or two gangs fighting over drug turf in a parking lot adjacent to a school after school hours. Or an accidental dis discharge in a firearm training course. Now, 
obviously these are not remotely similar to the sort of school shooting that happened on Tuesday. And even when you consider this misinformation that he is throwing in there, including lone suicides, accidental discharge, gang violence, and other various things that are entirely unrelated to school shootings that are merely shootings in the vicinity of schools, the actual number, as compiled by the Crime Prevention Research Center, shows it to be about half of what Biden claims. The actual number is 470 such incidents. However, if we're talking about school shootings like the one in Uvalde, Texas, since 1998, there have been a total of nine similar attacks that are in any way similar to the Robb Elementary School shooting. Now, don't get me wrong. Nine is nine too many. But despite their claims that this doesn't happen in other countries, what they really mean is that our media doesn't cover these events when they happen in other countries because they do happen in other countries. And when you adjust for population numbers, you will find many other countries, including developed Western democratic countries, uh, countries like Germany and Russia or Finland, who all have comparable rates of school shootings. Now let's briefly get to some remarks he has made about uh, the 2A not being an absolute right and you not being able to own a cannon. We know certain ones will have significant impact and have no negative impact on the Second Amendment. Second Amendment is not absolute. When it was passed, you couldn't own a you couldn't own a cannon. You couldn't own certain kinds of weapons. It's just always been limitations. Now, while Creepy Uncle Joe's no cannon argument is in one sense frivolity at its most useless, it is still a legally and historically interesting uh, piece of information to talk about to someone who is interested in the history of constitutional law like me, so I do want to briefly talk about this. Now, first of all, as a matter of textualist legal interpretation, the operative clause in the Second Amendment, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, lacks any kind of qualifying or conditional statement that could be interpreted as a limitation on the right of the people. And in fact, there is plenty of historical evidence that disproves his claim that the Second Amendment was originally understood and applied to ban the private ownership of cannons. Demonstrating his level of ignorance threatens to reduce his own gun control measures to little more than cannon fodder from a historical perspective. Biden has repeatedly defended his plan for banning certain types of weapons based on this false understanding of the scope and history of the Second Amendment. And in fact, even the very, very anti-gun Washington Post has declared Biden's understanding of the Second Amendment when it comes to these sorts of claims are completely historically false. Now, there were no federal laws banning canon ownership when the Second Amendment was enacted. Gun laws 
remained local matters. And I do not know of any bands from the time, and I have looked into this quite a great deal, that applied to classes of weapons, including cannons or any other type of gun. And these don't appear until much, much later in our history. And by that, I mean well into the 20th century. And in fact, the Constitution specifically supports private cannon ownership in the case of privateers. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11, allows Congress to grant letters of mark and reprisal. These would allow private parties to privateer on the high seas with cannons. And the simple fact is, the Second Amendment is not and has not ever been viewed or used as a basis for banning certain types of weapons until fairly modern times. This is not its original understanding in any sense. It was not until much later that the federal government started trying to regulate private ownership, sale, or possession of certain types or classes of weapons. Sorry, Joe, you are just caught red-handed on this lie as well. You got me now. You got me now. You got me now. Oh, you figured me out. You fucking income fucking poop. You figured me out. You got me red-handed. You got me red-handed. All right, finally, we are going to discuss the argument if it saves one life. Now, this isn't something that specifically came up during Joe Biden's press conference, but this has been and continues to be a very popular argument. And this is the idea that any gun control law that can save even a single life is always worth enacting. Natural rights be damned. And the simple truth is that this argument could really only be made by people who are defending policies that they haven't thought through or only vaguely support. This is because they only ever argue this when it comes to guns. For example, for them, it seems obvious that if banning a semi-automatic assault rifle would save even one life, then it must be worth doing. However, when we look at the FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting Program, we turn to the most recent year. We have a complete data collection uh, that is complete, which is 2019, we find some very interesting numbers. So this is the expanded homicide data table number eight from the report, murder victims by weapon. Now what we see here is that four times as many people were murdered with knives as were murdered with rifles. Remember, again, they don't distinguish between different types of rifles because there's no such thing as an assault weapon on a technical level. It is a political distinction, which is why you can't distinguish on this report or any report the difference between an assault weapon and other rifles. There is no difference. I can't stress that enough. Anyways. So. If stricter weapons laws should be implemented... Based on this saving just one life proviso, why wouldn't a knife ban be four times more urgent to pass than an assault weapon ban?
And if we look, that same year, 2019, 17 times more people were killed with handguns than were killed with rifles. Why are they worrying about rifles first and foremost when starting with a total handgun ban would save 17 times more lives than starting with a rifle ban and require the same amount of time and exertion to pass? This isn't about if it saves one life. If it was, the last thing they would be worrying about are banning rifles. Now, according to the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration, in 2021, 42,915 people were killed in a car crash. That means you are 100 times more likely to be killed by someone wielding a car than you are by someone wielding a rifle. If banning semi-automatic rifles is truly an urgent thing to do that needs to be done right away if you could save even one life, clearly, banning automobiles should be 109 times more urgent than banning rifles. We really should be focusing on making sure that no person is ever left at the capricious whims of the people who care more about their ability to have a car for such ridiculous and selfish reasons. Sure, they can try and justify it with fancy-sounding terms, talking about them exercising their right to travel. And when they try and make noble claims about a free country requiring each individual to have freedom of movement, all they really are talking about is the freedom to be selfish. They care about their inanimate hunks of metal more than they care about human lives. Besides, we all know the reason Congress refuses to act. Big auto. They are captive to the car industry's money that finds their way into their campaigns. This is the only reason politicians don't move to act on banning every car. Does that sound ridiculous to you? Um, I, I hope so. And the simple fact is, it, it, it should sound ridiculous. It is a ridiculous argument. And it is the exact same argument that we are getting from the anti-gun lobby. They say that saving one life is the only thing that matters and any kind of higher claim is just an excuse by selfish people who don't want to give up their inanimate objects. If it's about saving one life, let's work on banning all cars and then we can think about rifles, okay? Now look. In fact, the ramifications of the save one life model of legislating actually create a much, much, much more insurmountable challenge to the necessity and propriety of gun control laws than even the examples I have just given because there is in fact incontrovertible proof that banning entire classes of guns which are well suited to personal defense will actually lead to exponential increases in the rate of murder and violent crime. And this is exactly where my point about accepting belief you have neither not thought through or perhaps at best only vaguely understand really comes back with a vengeance. Because according to the FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting, the number of firearm homicides committed in 2019 total was 10,258. However, 
defensive gun uses, which can be defined as the use of a firearm to protect and defend oneself, family, and or other people against crime or victimization, are truly, truly staggering numbers. Now, criminologist Gary Kleck from Florida State University has spent his career researching defensive gun use in America. His studies show that there are more than 2 million defensive gun uses in America every year. Since the early 1990s, his studies have found that using even the most limited and conservative numbers, there are a minimum of 760,000 DGUs, defensive gun uses, each year. However, they contend that when defining defensive gun use by the precise definition that I just gave you a moment ago, that number is much closer to 2.5 million defensive gun uses per year. Now, something that's very, very interesting that most people don't know about is that around 2015, people might remember this, that when Barack Obama had tasked the CDC with a comprehensive study of gun violence, that study was notably cut off initially by Republican lawmakers who made a valid point that guns, with very few exceptions, are not a disease and therefore are outside the Center for Disease Control's purview. Now, what is much less well-known was that in the next year's budget, he was able to shift some funds around, and the gun violence CDC study began. But it never finished, and the reason why is Obama shut it down himself. Why? He didn't like the results that he was getting. And we now know this thanks to a FOIA request a few years ago by Judicial Watch that turned up a previously unpublished CDC study from that period that confirmed the data they had for 1996, 1997, and 1998. The CDC found approximately 2.46 million defensive gun uses annually for each of those three years. This means that Obama's CDC reaffirmed Gary Kleck's figures that there are anywhere between, depending on how you calculate it, 16 to 100 times more defensive gun uses every year than there are violent crimes perpetrated with guns. And when you narrow it from gun violence to gun-involved homicide, there are 194 times to 246 times as many defensive gun uses as there are gun-related homicide. And if we compare offensive gun use, which goes beyond gun violence, to include incidents such as a criminal merely, merely brandishing a gun to gain the compliance of his victim, we still find that 3.6 times as many defensive gun uses occur every year as offensive gun uses. If you truly believe the only factor with merit when crafting gun legislation is if it saves one life, it's worth doing, every facet of relevant research points to the wisdom of adopting policies that will assist in the proliferation of firearms to law-abiding citizens for lawful purposes. 
and the person who knows what personal defense weapon is best suited to their personal needs is the person buying a gun for their personal defensive needs. The only time it is appropriate for Joe Biden or any congressman or federal bureaucrat to decide what an appropriate personal defense weapon is is if they are buying one for themselves, if they choose to take that personal responsibility for the defense of themselves and their families. And I am always astounded that despite the fact it is those on the left who are usually smart enough to understand that you can't trust the police to protect you, these are also the people who will turn around and say, what do you need a gun for? That's why we have the police. And just like we saw, unfortunately, in Parkland, Florida in 2018, we tragically saw again in Uvalde, Texas just a few days ago that the police were unwilling to provide help as defensive children were at the mercy of a violent individual with a gun. While a swarm of armed police stood outside the school for over 15 minutes, and they were too cowardly to confront the gunmen inside, but they had no qualms about tackling and arresting unarmed parents outside the school who were ready to run into the school unarmed to stop the shooter. That's who the cops are. Dealing with our fundamentally broken and likely unfixable system of policing in America is one place where the left and libertarians could really come together and even a good number of sensible Republicans who are still very rightfully pissed off about police being used to assault families who are gathering for church or to celebrate holidays during the worst of the pandemic lockdowns and realize that just because the pandemic is over, those bad cops didn't actually go anywhere. The only problem is, as soon as an incident like this happens, the left completely forget about bad police, and the only thing that they will talk about is... Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? Think of the children. Won't somebody please think of the children? No, stop. Think of the children. Think of the children. Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? Look... It's easy to write off guns as tools that are only used to assault, murder, or carry out other crimes because that's the only time that the news reports on their use. No news station does a report about the man who didn't get robbed or the woman who didn't get raped because they were fortunate enough to be carrying a handgun for self-defense. Nor are you likely to hear about the family that wasn't killed by an intruder because they had an AR-15 in their home for use as a personal defense weapon. And that is going to do it for me here today. Uh, I want to thank you so much for uh, tuning in to the show. Uh, I want to remind you guys, uh, if you are not subscribed to the channel, please take a second and uh, do that so you always find out when my newest videos come out. Uh, please... Let me know what you thought about the video by hitting the little thumbsy uppy button or the little thumbsy downy button right down there. And uh, I, I always really do love to get comments from you guys. And 
Of course, I welcome comments from everyone, no matter what your position is on this. But I am especially interested in this particular case in hearing from people who disagree with me on this issue. And I just want to know where you stand on this issue. And if you think I got anything wrong here, I I really do uh, respect and welcome uh, respectful debate and disagreement. So please let me know if you think I got something wrong and why you think I got it wrong, if you can back up your assertion with a logical argument. Uh, So, uh, yeah, please do that. And then, uh, yeah, I guess that's all I really got for you guys today. Thank you so much for tuning in to Legalese. Uh, I am uh, Bob, your host, signing out. And so, I guess until next time, all that's left to say is Cartago de Lenda Est. Yeah.